Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to WandaVision 30 Questions, a show where each week we take 30 questions about the new hit WandaVision show on Disney Plus and talk all about them. I am your host, Adam Portress, and joining me today, he knows better than to wear white after Labor Day, sweet Shanta Kovacs from the internet. Wait, what? And his Russian accent, it just keeps coming and going, Bruce Leslie. My life is all chaos and no magic. Oh, that's okay. We are here to bring a little bit of magic to each and every one of your lives this week as we talk WandaVision 30 questions, the penultimate episode, everybody. Season 1, episode 8, entitled Previously On. Uh, and let's get into question number one here. Boys, as predicted, we got a flashback episode, but this one was done Dickens style. Why does that story still work so well? Sean? Uh, well, because it's a, a perfect way to parse out information. Um, you know, it, it, basically this episode was a big, expedi- a big exposition dump, which is, you know, fine. Like you need it for the show. And so you have to be very specific about how you're doling out that information. And a really good way to do it is, you know, you're, you're cutting back and forth between time periods, basically. And it makes it interesting. And it's not guy in room holding folder telling you everything you need to know. It, it, it works really well. Pointing at a picture saying, you remember this time? We're not going to show you that time, but you, you see know, a picture. That, and there's that time during like the mid 2000s where if you read a comic book, there was always that gigantic exposition dump where there's a bunch of folders on a table and two people are talking to each other. And they're not doing that in the show. And it makes for a good show. And, you know, there's a couple of reasons why something works so well. Like the when Dickens first did it, it didn't work all that great. But it found, you know, it, it well, at least people didn't expect it to work all that great. But then with time, you come to expect something, and that makes it work better than when it's a new way of doing it sometimes. So I guess to answer your question, I think it works well, A, because, you know, there's a reason that it was done in the first place was because it works well. And then B, uh, because we're familiar and comfortable with it and and our minds are prepared to handle it when it's delivered that way. It's also kind of a drunken master delivery system because it's the thing where like they're holding back on you until they're not. And, and getting information that way is, is a good way to get it. You know, it's the best way I can describe it to you is watching a comedian that you love you know that they're hitting topics that they need to hit, but you're not seeing the seams in their act. And that's yeah. kind of what the show felt like this episode specifically. And I think we all have uh, kind of a weird fascination of being able to kind of see ourselves out of time, almost like from a third person perspective that you haven't been able to see your own life before. I think everybody just goes like, just at least you may not want to do it, but you've at least had the idea of like, man, what would that be like if I could go back in time and watch myself do, you know, whatever, you know, defining moments of your life, you know? And I don't know when exactly the point was that this happened with television, but there was a point where suddenly it was no longer acceptable to make things up as you go along. So now you need things like this to see, to say, see, see how we were laying this down from episode one to now, even when it's something that's released all at once like this, you still have to almost like prove you had this planned all along and you're not pulling a JJ Abrams here. Or Well, and you just explained it perfectly by saying that, you know, that because if you, if you have a lockbox system of, of a television show, you need to have a plan. You can't just pull it out. I mean, you know, Vince Gilligan is able to do that, but Vince Gilligan is like one of one. Yeah. 
But even then, Vince Gilligan had like, you know, some broad strokes more or less as to where he was going. It's not like George Lucas to where you turn around and it's like, oh, no, I was planning it the whole long bull crap you were. Right. But yeah, very different from, uh, you know, shows we watched growing up where you didn't see old reruns very often until they went into syndication. So they didn't have to worry about if it mapped out in retrospect. Oh yeah, nobody's going to be like, "Oh, I, Bobby was in fourth grade. Now he's in fifth grade." What? 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 That doesn't make sense. Or probably in third grade because you got to go backwards. Eventually, you do go forwards <laughs> in grades, but you don't go backwards. Say, that's exactly how it's supposed to work, Adam. Unless, Where did you go to school? Uh, <laughs> in the South, if you can tell. <laughs> we learn them good. Uh, question three. Uh, how about uh, two, two first? Oh, I'm so yeah, sorry. I, I I read it. I read two so many times. I was just like, well, surely we covered that. Do you really care that much about Agatha's brooch? Because they go out of our way showing us how she got it. I always thought it was just something there to let people know it was Agatha. Okay, if first they, of all, it's pronounced brooch. Not, not a single uh, human being in the world calls it brooch. I I, I even I changed know at least one guy. You, you misspelled it. Yes, Adam, you did misspell it. No, you no, no. It, like broach the topic. No, you. Well, whatever. You just it's, it looked wrong in there. So I changed it. Listen, I told I promise you. promise you Google the definition of the way I spelled it. All the right. Aliens who programmed you, Bruce, are doing a poor job when it comes to pronunciation of certain words. The, Hello, fellow humans. Here's here is the here is the thing about the brooch that this is the only thing that matters about it. It shows you who she is really because if you're pulling if you're pulling stuff off a dead person so you yourself can wear it you are a bad person at heart so even though she says she can be a good person naturally she is not naturally she is a a truly terrible person if you're pulling a brooch off of and i think it is her actual mother I mean, I know she refers to her as mother. It could be like coven mother, or it could be her actual physical mother. I think it is her biological mom that she's pulling that brooch off of. Well, she would probably inherit it anyway, then. Cub Scout den mother. Why wait for the reading of the will? You know, just grab it and move on. Yeah. But to watch to watch someone physically do that yeah. is really showing your hand that this is this is actually a very bad person here. Oh man, I want a new podcast called Get That Brooch. Agnes doesn't want to go to any kind of arbitration, so she's just like, I'm just going to take this. <laughs> I knew my sister would get it if I didn't. <laughs> well, didn't I? Hey, let, let's say those other ladies that were there were also her sisters. Nah, they ain't getting it. So, yeah. What, why, why bring a lawyer into it? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> just take it. <laughs> now, question three. The episode starts in Salem in 1693 colonial America. And while it's not the Salem witch trials, would you call what's happening to Agatha Harkness a witch trial? I, it feels like it's a trial by witches, it seems, at least. Well, or at least it's an admonishment by a witch. Yeah. And in the comics, it was the Salem witch trials that she survived. I would just make a mild semantic change and say it's a witch hunt. I don't think there's a trial involved. I think it's just a hunt. Yeah, like, but when they when they tie her up and everything, you go, "Are you a witch?" I mean, like, what what answer are they expecting? It's like, you know, I am. We were at the and witch it, meeting it, last it week. It almost seems to have a little more validity when it's the witches themselves conducting the operation rather than when it's some, uh, I don't know, Puritan priest doing it. Yeah, that's true because they would just be like, "Well, we're going to tie a brick around your ankles and throw you into the thing, and if you're <laughs> we'll if you're a witch, you you'll fire. get out of it." We'll set you on fire. If the fire kills you, we know you're innocent. If you live, we know you're a witch. 
See, we got all the bases covered. <laughs> it's just good science is what it is. But I, I don't know what's, I don't know the deal with the brooch and stuff. There's been so many different uh, guesses as to like, there are three figures on it. What do those three figures mean? What do they possibly represent or who could they represent within the show itself? Um, I, I don't know. No, nor do I know that I care really. I mean, unless you're going to, you know, whack me over the head with it and it'd be something like, whoa, I can't believe that brooch <laughs> information. But I, I don't foresee that being a thing that really, you know, knocks me on my butt. Did you guys feel like you got an idea what she was guilty of? Because I'm not entirely sure I know. Like, I, I get the idea maybe she accessed something forbidden, but I uh, maybe I didn't get a chance to watch this one a second time. That's part of why I'm asking Bilden on this question three. It's It doesn't seem like it's anything specific that we particularly know, but it does feel like she branched out into uh, some sort of witchery, if you will, <laughs> that... Um, she should not be able to attain at her age and level of, 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 uh, so more or less it's a, it was based, she's guilty of ambition, just like Julius Caesar. Yeah. And there's a lot of that too. And that's what they, it looks like what's happening there. And again, I'm just interpreting all this just from a visual standpoint. That that certainly is uh, consistent with what we see from her towards Wanda later on. Yeah. They're all shooting stuff towards her. And like, she basically takes that, uh, that power that they're going and then drains that from them, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Almost like she wanted them to do that. Well, there's, there may be a lot of that in the series. (laughs) Number four, Adam. Uh, this one comes to us from Mark. Mark writes, Hi guys, love the podcast, as I also love all the other shows that you do. My question is, what is chaos magic? Thanks and keep up the good work. That's from Mark from Rochester, England. Bruce, I figure I we'll go to you on this one. to you, Bruce. What's chaos well, magic? Because there's a lot of different magic terms being thrown around, and I think we need to parse some of those out a little bit, if we can. Okay, now, first off... Um, we'll start with like in comic books, a lot of times, particularly creators in silver and bronze age, I think there's more thought that goes into things now, but a lot of times a phrase would be used because it's a cool phrase and it would often be poorly defined. If it was defined, that definition only lasts as long as that writer was on that project. But at its root, I mean, chaos, I think we understand chaos and entropy. Uh, it doesn't follow any rules. That's kind of the root of it. So you can think of there's like magic where if you want to do this, you need this component and that component. You got to do it at this time in this place. Whereas chaos magic would be not constrained by those rules. It's actually dealt with a whole lot more in D.C. with uh, Dr. Fate because he serves the Lords of Order and he's fighting against the Lords of Chaos. So you get chaos magic versus order magic. But at the end of the day, I think what they're getting at here is, you know, when things are left unattended, chaos happens. And going back to our comic book roots of altering probability, what she's doing is taking, you know, like uh, if you go back and you look at Civil War, a movie I recently watched a little bit of, when she's pulling all of those cars out of the parking garage and down on top of the people she's fighting against, it's things that are put into order that keep those cars from falling off. So chaos magic removes the parking brake, removes the friction. It, it just lets chaos happen by taking the order out of the system and the huh. system moves towards entropy because entropy and chaos, you can kind of think of as the same thing. And then, you know, you can go back to uh, uh, if you're a big fan of Jurassic World, you know, when the guy's saying, hey, chaos, life finds a way. This is all going to go bad because that's the rule of chaos. Well, she's just speeding up everything going bad. 
like that explanation. But at the end of the day, it's whatever the writers of this show decided. It's <laughs> pulled into comics or mathematics or science or anything. Uh, I, I, I guess it's like uh, magic, but we don't have to worry about having, a, you know, the eye of Newt or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Question five. Did you find the explanation for the Pietro switch unsatisfactory? Uh, you know, I keep vacillating in between whether I like it or don't like it because I, I love the idea of straight up first thing out of the gate we see is that they're bringing the mutants into the Marvel Universe. However, the other part that I keep thinking about is this show got pulled up uh, because it was the first one to be completed uh, during COVID. So they really don't have uh, the, you, 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 like it, it doesn't work if nothing else describes the mutants. Right. So like you have, because the next show, I, I can't imagine that they're going to be hitting too hard on 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 the mutants uh, in in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, you know, so I, like it's it's such a difficult thing for me. I, I guess I guess I don't like it, but I, I can't really because I, I really do love that actor and I love him specifically as Quicksilver. Yeah, uh, you know, Evan Peters is great, but I I, I guess that I, you know serve your own story. And if this is what the story is, then this is where we are. It felt to me like Evan Peters was available, so they knew they were going to use him no matter what, but they didn't quite, like this feels like one part of the story that came up on him and wasn't quite fleshed out the same as the rest, because that explanation is largely a non-explanation. Like they're not ready to commit to the explanation yet is what it felt like to me. Yes. To me, this this feels like a... Uh, a, a superhero triple deke. They are in your face. Here it comes. Nope. You think it's going that way. No, it's going that way. No, we're going back the other way yet again. And while I understand and I get, and I, I think I empathize with that. That's frustrating. I think it makes it so much cooler that we just, because shows like this, where we break everything down, we're looking at all the stuff, we're scrutinizing everything. And then for us to all go, I think I've got this figured out. We all want to be clever boys and girls. And then they go, nope. I kind of like that. I, I like subverting expectations. I like setting something up and taking the rug away. And then, because who knows, that might lend us to something that's really, really good. It might get us at a much better place than what we, you know, expected when we expected this to be that. Sounds good. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Number six, Sean. So tell me if I get this right. Hydra is experimenting with Wanda and the Mind Stone kickstarted Wanda's latent magic ability, mutant ability. Do you have any thoughts on this, Adam? Because I'm going to get maybe crazy town, maybe not, but I've got a lot to say. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thought that I had when watching this is like maybe she had some sort of my my initial thought goes to latent uh, mutant ability. You know, this the, the ability for that probability thing that we always know that, you know, Wanda had from back in comics and stuff. And so I, I put that together. I don't know that I necessarily wound it up with, um, you know, like witchcraft per se. But then again, 
despite the name Scarlet Witch, I I just associate mutant directly with that, just on account of you know yeah, on account of her being stuff. a mutant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's all there is to it. Uh, okay, can I go ahead and go in my perhaps crazy diatribe? Yeah, yeah. So first off, things that are established in multiple levels of continuity to cause a mutant to express their abilities. Uh, the most common one going back to the, to the pre Claremont days was puberty. And then post Claremont, Claremont and on, you also add severe distress. Mm -hmm. So we have a situation with Wanda where based on her age, I'm going to say it's not kind of creepy to say she's probably in, you know, in the pubescent era. Yeah. Like 11, 12, something like that, maybe. Yeah. And also that bomb lands on her house so that's the the physical distress. That's the severe distress along. So she has two causes to express her mutant abilities. Uh, we have evidence that she used her mutant abilities to alter probability so the bomb never exploded. Then we go on to her being locked up in a cage, which is further distressing, further bringing out her abilities. When she comes face-to-face -face with the Mind Stone, the Mind Stone goes from blue to orange. And... I think that it was Wanda who changed the Mind Stone rather than the Mind Stone who changed Wanda. Oh, wow. That's cool. And then when the Wind Stone, the Wind Stone, boy, I'm my mind, uh, the Mind Stone, once it's put into Vision with her imprinting on that stone, maybe that's why Vision was so drawn to Wanda in the first place versus all the other humans he was around. And that gives them some kind of like deeper connection. And I really, really do think that this story, whether it's expressed here or in a future movie, I think this story is going to go on to say that that it was Wanda who added a new dimension to the Mind Stone rather than the other way around. I think we're eventually going to find that perhaps their whole plot in Endgame wouldn't have worked if not for Wanda altering the Mind Stone. Hey, I like that just as good as anything. I mean... Makes sense. Yeah, my my concept here is now they've got the green light to make her the mutant. And it's pretty cool that they, you know, obviously they have some things that were just uh, just accidental or incidental. Like when they were making the movies and they're working on the Infinity Gauntlet, they realized, oh, crap, we've got two blue things. We can't have two blue things. So we're going to change one of them to yellow. But then they give us a scene like this and it works out where it can look like they were planning this all along when they really weren't, but they sure. seized on this opportunity. But I do believe that she was a mutant, that she didn't trust in her powers or know in her powers. This is like the magic feather that Dumbo carried in his trunk so he could fly. I think this is her magic feather, but in truth, she changed the Mind Stone rather than vice versa. I like that. Me too. Number seven, uh, the head witch going after Agatha gets this kind of electric magic looking crown on her head. And the Internet points out that it looks a lot like the crown of Zarid Nod, an ancient Atlantean sorceress from the comics. And perhaps the book in Agatha's basement might be the tome of Zarad Na, which contains Atlantean magic. Would that mean that Namor could be in the works at Marvel at some point? Is Marvel just the best at painting uh, evidence of whether, you know, just to steer you in one direction or another to keep you totally flustered but intrigues you at the exact same time? How? Why, why are they so good at this? I... I, I guess like my only answer is they're good at it because they're good at it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> practice, practice, practice. I'm not sure. Why is Tony Hawk so good at skateboarding? <laughs> well, there seems to be a hive think that is starting to happen or probably has been happening for a while over at Marvel. And there are people who hate that 
and hate that, you know, and they call it, ah, it's corporate movies and corporate, corporate filmmaking, but it works and it makes for fun viewing and it rewards the viewer for watching more of their lack for lack of a better term product. Yeah. And so when, you know, when you can drop in a thing where, Oh, Hey, Namor mate ship might show up because of this one thing, or maybe he won't, but we have this thing. And so you have that little Easter egg in there. And so when they do, when they do finally get to Namor, they're going to go, Oh, Hey, see, we had it way back here. Remember, remember we did that. You know, it's kind of like, cause they, they, they were kind of getting there early where like there was that thing in, on the internet where, Oh, Hey, if you freeze frame this part of the Hulk movie, mm-hmm. you can see captain America in the ice, like stuff like that. And it's like they were they were kind of working it out at the time to like okay so how much do we need to put in here, like what is too little what is too much, and so they've gotten to that point now you know we're here you know where where oh hey that's a Namor reference sort of a thing, but it also might not be I mean it it works perfectly either way, and I think they give us a little bit of an ink blot with some of their stuff where you can see. Uh, a little bit about what reflects your own wants and desires. And then they see which one of those uh, narratives ends up fitting the best too. And I do think they can adapt a little bit to what's going on uh, in the fandom better than other properties do because there's so, so many things they can come back to it with. Yeah. And they might, and this could easily be used as almost a, a proving ground. It's like, listen, here's the thing. Let's drop a little hint about something that we could possibly do in the future. What are people's reactions to this? Are they jazzed about it? Is this something that people want? And you can, you can suss that out. But you know, back to like the Rorschach uh, blot, you know, the ink blot test to me, I saw it as like looking like horns at first when it popped up. So I'm thinking, okay, they're giving more hints to something to do with devil stuff. Yeah, and and again, that's the best part is that it totally could be that we could all be you know reading in too much, but it lays that groundwork. It gets you interested in you know what the next thing could possibly be, and you'll you'll continue to keep watching because they've left breadcrumbs everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Number eight. This comes from Corey from Tennessee. I've read that people were using the the episode to debunk mutants being added to the MCU. I think this episode may have actually cemented that theory. Wanda was born with the abilities and they were just enhanced by the stone. Do you think Wanda is a mutant and does this mean mutants already exist in the MCU? Well, I think I've already spoke to this. I'll hear what you guys have to say. I would say yes and yes. I mean, I think that it I think that she is a mutant. They're they're kind of showing you that she is. And this is the nice way to tiptoe around all that. And I think they've done a very good job with it. You know, it doesn't feel forced. You know what it feels like? Uh, Adam, I don't know if you're going to get this reference, but Bruce, I'm going to guess that you do. It feels like when Jeff Johns fixed Hawkman. Do you remember when Jeff Johns fixed Hawkman? Yes, I do. And I I think they're... Mm, I think there's uh, exactly what you're trying to say. I agree with it. And I would say it's even accentuated by a more recent Robert Venditti course correction on Hawkman. But that is a character that definitely has needed fixing. 
because when you have all of these varying versions of, a, of the same character and you're trying to make it all work, you need to bring somebody in to basically fix all of yeah. the past crap. And, you know, Marvel through no fault of their own, they, you know, they, they, they gave away the rights, not gave away. They sold the rights to the X-Men to Fox. So Fox gets to make whatever movies they want. Well, we worked it out where Wanda isn't a mutant, but you know what? Mon Wanda is a mutant. And so we need to yeah. figure that out and how to make that work and how to make it copacetic for anyone watching. And so that's what they're doing. And I think they've done a fantastic job with it. I really do. And I would say just to add to that fixing component, like the Jeff Johns fixing Hawkman component, there's a reason Scarlet Witch is a mutant, but Wanda isn't necessarily. And that's probably why we didn't hear the words Scarlet Witch spoken in the MCU until the Fox Disney merger. And they've, but they've worked on so much stuff. And like, like you said, we kind of tried to go back and maybe retcon's too harsh of a word, but at least tie stuff back into no, no, the... this is 100% retcon. Then, yeah. uh, well, I'm just talking about the MCU as a whole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like retroactive continuity. That's what we're seeing here. But they've gotten to a point where they've got all their ducks in a row at this point. And everything that they do from now on, it feels like, more than likely, it's going to be all very planned out. Very, We know exactly where we're going. This leads into this. And here's all the little beats and stuff. And now each show in one way, shape, or form connects to the other one. So I think that since we're kind of past those first 10 years, I think this next one in here is really going to knock it out of the park. Yeah, and also from what I understand, they use a lot of the same people even in less high-profile roles, and that helps it to keep your cards a little closer to your chest, I think, when you got fewer people on the periphery coming in and out. And I think that's something awesome is some of the big things that Disney, not just Marvel, but Disney as a whole has been able to hold close to the best. Oh, Will Smith said it himself. If it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. You know, number yeah. nine, this comes from no mention of Kev or in the HM universe. He's known as Will Billy. Will Billy. <laughs> Uh, Haywood referred to the things that they did to <laughs> Hayward referred to the things that they did to survive during the blip and nudged Wanda into the path of resurrecting vision. Agnes is a psychopathic witch who just happened to be in a small out of the way town in New Jersey. When Wanda has a nervous breakdown is our missing person whom agent Wu is looking for the one behind everything. And how cool would it be if his name was actually Ralph? That is from Will Billy. I, I think the big thing is, is that the missing person, I think we can just say that that was Wanda at this point, right? No, I, I don't think so. I, uh, I don't want to be too antagonistic because it's awesome that Kev sent this question in. I think a lot of the fandom is making too much hay about this missing person because when Monica first shows up, she says, who's the missing person? He goes, persons, actually. It's a whole town. I don't think this started as, like, I don't think there's a key missing person at the root of this. I think this is people just making too much hay out of one line. And I'd love to be proven wrong. That'd be cool. But that's just kind of what I feel. Well, I agree. And and, and my, my statement still, still stands with that. I believe that the quote-unquote person, just whoever, she, she was the genesis for all of this. We know that he knew everything about her leading up to all of this stuff. And essentially, while he may have said it was someone else, the missing person that they're trying to reach— they're trying to go after is her. 
but it starts with the FBI with Wu, and they're not under the umbrella of Shield. So I think the FBI really is looking for a ton of missing people. So I think Wu is there independently of Sword's uh, Sword's goals. Hmm. You follow me there? I don't think, I think Wu so. and Sword have any connective tissue. Before the final episode, I'm going back and rewatching these all the way from the beginning, so I'll, I'll have and, a better grasp of it next and, week. And then also, just as far as like looking at the question, I don't think Agnes was in Westview when uh, Wanda did her thing. I think Agnes sensed a disturbance in the Force and immediately went there to find out who had this much power and how could she take it. You know, that's the way I took it also, that she just was able to see, oh, th- there's power off the map here. I've got to I've got to get over there and see what's going on. That's the way I took it. Yeah. Question 10. Now that we've seen the inception of how all of this got started, do you think people will at least better understand why the story had to be told this way and that there's no way that this, you know, makes a better pilot episode than what we actually got, at least artistically speaking? I'll yield to you first on this one, Sean. So, uh, I, I I still think that they took way too long at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, like I get that they, I, 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 as I said at the beginning of our podcast, the first episode of this podcast, I think that they just fell in love with their own stuff. And they were like, Hey, look what we can do. This is so fun. And this is fun to, to, to recreate. And I, and I understand that I get what that is, but that isn't what, that's not why I'm tuning into the show. So when they flip it on its head, you know, they look so smart because they've just been doing this for two episodes and you know, Hey, we had this planned all along and that's fine. Uh, I don't like the delivery system of those first episodes uh, I find the show far more fascinating now than I did then. Um, and I think that like, I understand, I, I, I get that it's a, it's, it's a cool delivery system. I just think that it took way too long to get to where we needed to get to. So to answer your question, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I understand uh, that there's some, value artistically speaking and also you know just commercially to uh, laying down a mystery then slowly answering it but i feel like they spent just a little too long laying down the mystery and i think that they uh, just barely pulled it out in time to save this show because a lot of audience was turning on this show after the first two even after the third episode yeah um so just from you know speaking 100 percent, just for me as a viewer I think that one episode to make everybody say what the heck is going on was enough. Um, this is, you know, what I would compare this to the most famous cliffhanger in TV history is who shot Jr. So imagine the cliffhanger, the season ends, who shot Jr. Then the season premiere, Jr. is alive, no explanation. And he gets shot again. Then episode two of the next season, he gets shot yet a third time. Then you start <laughs> figuring out who shot him. That's what this felt like to me. <laughs> Like you, you had me saying what the heck is going on after one episode. You didn't need to keep getting me saying what the heck is going on. Yeah, and I think that's really why they put those first two episodes out at one time, just to like, well, we got to cushion this bad boy a little bit. They could have even maybe put out three at one time, and that may have satiated something. I, I, I think changing up the order a little bit will make this more enjoyable. I'm going to rewatch it in the Leslie uh, order someday and see if I like it better that the way. Leslie verse order. <laughs> yeah. Number 11. When Wanda stormed into S.W.O.R.D. and had her interaction with Vision, 
Hayward wanted her to do that, right? Oh, man, I hope that's true because I would love for him to be – I would love for him to have more agency than what it appears. Um, It makes for a much better character, and it makes for more longevity from this character if that's the case. But if it's just dumb luck and things like that that that, you know came to be, then we're talking about something else. Um, I think uh, I I, I can tell you I want him to have planned it, but I I don't have enough evidence of that yet. Uh, I think watching it the second time and kind of watching his his face and his delivery of that line of just like, well, it's not like you could you know resurrect your loved one. I mean, put him back online or what? Like the way that he does that, it it sounds like he purposely you know let the cat out of the bag. And and it seems like he staged this horrific scene for her to see, you know. Yeah. Like, like, and it, it just kind of feels to me like manipulation one one. you put up a fake resistance and then let them quote overpower you. So it seems like they're, they're the one in control when they're doing what you actually wanted them to do. Because if this was as big a deal as, as he claims it is, and I think that it is that, that vision would be, you know, kind of an ultimate weapon sort of deal. She smashes through there and the guards come out gun, guns drawn and everything. If he, you know, really didn't want her to do anything. If he wanted to keep all of this separate, he would have let them shoot her or at least attempt to, you know, shooting her is not going to do any good. I think he knows that, but I do think what you really do is you hit a button that says scramble, get all those parts to different places, hide them. We can't let her find them. I mean, this was, this was theater for her benefit. Uh, Yeah. I I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Or maybe it was just a dramatic writer writing a dramatic scene. I'm so jaded. <laughs> Maybe he's just trying to write cool stuff. What a jerk. <laughs> Number 12. No Agent Woo this week. Are you hoping for double woo in the finale like I am? That's and we've also got uh, no no Darcy this week either. So it's going to be a I, I hope it's a Darcy uh woo extravaganza. Here's what I want. I literally want double woo. I want his evil twin brother with a goatee to show up and they have to fight each other. Nice. Like, that's the season finale out of nowhere, Woo versus Woo, and they don't answer any of the questions about WandaVision. I also like the, <laughs> the idea. episode. They're both fighting. You've got the one with the goatee. They're both fighting, and then they look at the person, and they try to convince, no, no, he's the bad guy. Look, he's got a goatee on, and they and they just, they don't, they don't like, he, he looks the same. I don't know which, which one is it, which. Yeah. 13. Agatha says of Wanda running Westview, thousands of people under your thumb, all interacting with each other according to complex storylines. Well, that's something special, baby. Did Kevin Foggy write that line and then put his hands behind his head with an all knowing satisfaction? Well, no, because Kevin Feige doesn't write anything. You get yeah. what I'm saying, though. I know he didn't really write it. I just want to let everybody know that I clearly know that he didn't write this, but he is a producer. It's yeah. a good line, and there are a lot of good lines in the episode this week. I think that there's uh, there is a, a a a a tipping point for this show where that they know okay this is too much, and it, having the explanation be that succinct and clear and quick uh, is a very good bit of writing. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I guess back to the Kevin Feige thing, I think part of what makes him more successful than some of his contemporaries is that he's able to avoid that uh, instinct to 
to get too granular, to make too many notes. You pick out what works and what doesn't work. You're the man in charge. But if something doesn't work, you just say, go back to the drawing board. You don't tell them what to do when they go back. Yeah. And they've had stuff that, that doesn't really work. I mean, we, we've, we've practically taken Thor from like an obscure character that so few people knew about to a guy that people know about, but weren't crazy about his movies to, to the next Thor movie, everybody going, whoo, hot dog. We got another Thor movie. Who and thought that was going to be today? You know? And, and that's kind of where I see Feige saying, okay, that didn't work. Let's try something different, but yeah. not saying you need to do this. Agreed. Number 14. Wanda seriously improved property values in Westview, right? Man, you ain't kidding. Uh, like, it it looks so out of place when Deborah Joe Rupp is just sipping coffee in that, that town square. Yeah. It's like, what is that super nice lady doing in this awful little town? Yeah, uh, like people should be happy not throwing a fit. Well, I mean, you know, not having... Not not having control of their own thoughts and emotions is pretty terrible. It gets but, a little rough. <laughs> if your thoughts and emotions are, are the right kind of thoughts and emotions, you don't mind handing them over. Just think of well, a, a well, wild vacation. <laughs> you know, th- this is a very uh, this is a very money first question. <laughs> um, I think that uh, being happy is a number one. And I got to tell you, if somebody were controlling my thoughts and emotions, I would be very very unhappy. Unless they controlled your emotions to make you happy. That's what, like what drugs do. But sometimes you want to feel things. Yeah, that's true. That's So true. you take the other kind of drugs. My, my biggest satisfaction was finding out that uh, fake David Schwimmer's mustache had been there all along and it wasn't a creation of Wanda. <laughs> it's just him from, uh, just it's a, in his natural state. Yeah, I love that. That guy's got a giant honker and uh, you got to cover it up with something. Yeah, drive the attention away a little bit. The the thing that always kind of killed me was like the people with like with with a big schnoz that go, "I'm going to put a I'm going to put a nose ring on that." It's like, "Do you need to draw more attention to Okay. Yeah, sometimes you just embrace it. You know, look, I know what I got. So, I'm just going to take the I'm going to take the weapon away from you and I'm going to put it into my own hands. Yeah. There's one on the left, one on the right, and the septum one. It's like, "Okay, I get it. You got a nose." Congratulations. Seven or 15. 15. Yeah. What is grief if not love persevering is the most beautiful, deepest moment I've ever experienced in the Marvel universe. It's a level of deepness I would never have expected from this show. And it came from Vision, a heartless, fuchsia-colored robot. Who is Vision to you? What do you think of when you think of Vision? I I love this moment as well, and and in watching it, uh, is it, you're exactly right. It's like wow, what a, what a really interesting, profound statement. And it was like three, two, one. Ain't he a robot though? Why is this? <laughs> it felt like it all like just right away. It felt super weird and strange. It's like where is he pulling this from? What is? How does? Is he just trying to comfort her? Which I guess is nice. But I don't know that he believes that because he's a robot. Yeah, man, this this is back to the the same uh, conundrum that was introduced by Short Circuit. What is alive? Johnny Five is alive. Vision is alive. Of all the people I've ever known, Spock was the most human. You know, it's that it's that thing. Yeah, and that's kind of what Vision is to me in this context. You know, going back to the comics, I think he was made very clearly to show that. Uh, you know, he's made up of all these different parts, but he's something original. 
And they kept that up in the movie too. And that's kind of like a, you know, a human you're made up of different parts, but you're something original. Also a little bit of Mary Shelley. He's like a Frankenstein that's pieced together, but he is his own thing. He's not someone else's pawn created as a, as a villain that became a hero because he was able to think for himself. That's interesting because the way that I think of vision uh, as a character, even before MCU is I always thought of him a little bit like Murphy from RoboCop where, yeah. you, you know, like you have to come up with the decision of like, because he had, it's his choice basically of, am I going to be a free thinking person? Because he, he is given that, that ability. So I can either behave like, like a robot or I can behave like a human being. And he makes the decision when the time comes that I want to be, I want to be my own, my own person. And so, you know, Murphy has to come up with that decision too. Am I RoboCop or am I Murphy? And so it's the same thing, kind of, sort of. And that's what I think of when I think of Vision is basically Murphy from RoboCop. Oh, man. Why does that sound better than when I used uh, Johnny Five from Short Circuit? <laughs> hey, it's just as raw and gritty as RoboCop. Don't you well, worry. The, for, for, I, I got, I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks, that line. You know, like sometimes you just need to hear something to, to like, like really just like sink into your own business, you know, and like have your head up your own ass about a, a couple of things. Mm -hmm. And that move, th that, that line totally, totally did that to me this week. And it's also one of those weird things, like out of thousands of years of language, why is that word combination just coming up now? Because it seems like it should have been at the core of humanity. Like it just, it seems like a universal truth. It seems so true when he says it, but I've never right. heard that phrase before. And it, makes me wonder why hasn't anybody ever said that before and the guts that they had when they filmed this because the mo most of that scene the the very emotional parts take place in one shot one not even a close-up like a medium close-up and it ha and they have the guts to sit there with her because you're 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 on that bed with them. You're that third party there. You're sitting with them. We're not cutting away. We're not getting super close in the, into you know like a super close up or anything. So you're not you know purposely manipulating them by showing a big crying face on screen or anything. They let you sit there and be part of that two people talking and you know really just kind of work through all their crap that's been going on. Well, Adam, you can, I mean, you know, this as well as I do, you've, you've directed some stuff. I've directed some stuff that all comes from absolute faith in your actors. And I'm sure that they got close-ups just in case they needed them, but they didn't need them. So they went with the two shot. Now, and um, th there's, there's gotta be an Emmy in here for her. I just, I can't see it. I don't, I don't know who she'd be up against because oh, I don't man, watch enough, a, but man, she's so, so good. That's such a rough I mean, she might, but you know, when it comes to, when it comes to sci-fi slash superhero stuff, like they're not giving those away. Yeah. But it feels uh, like Watchmen. I mean, Watchmen cleaned up. Yeah. Yes. But Watchmen also is dealing with much deeper material than what yeah, we're I, no, I, <laughs> I don't want to make any controversial statements, but some may remember Watchmen for a longer time than they remember. But, but, but <laughs> yes, at the same time think. too, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's still standard life stuff of, you know, life and death and things like that. And that's relatable to anyone. And also kind of interesting to see the, the differences between visions approach to humanity and Dr. Manhattan's. I, I never really thought of that till just now, but huh. yeah, he's, seeing it from a totally different perspective from Manhattan, but they both 
kind of open our eyes to something. Vision, just a little less jaded. <laughs> yeah. 16. You ever meet someone who's way better than you are at something and that you actually work really hard at, and it seems like they're not even trying? Can you really blame Agatha for being so pissed at Wanda? Come on, Adam. Man, this is like this. You're you're really uh, triggering me here. This is like the the <laughs> daily life I live. <laughs> but I try not to get pissed because that doesn't help anything. No, it doesn't well, help. <laughs> well, here, here, if I may, because I, I have a little bit on both sides of this. So, you know, you're basically talking about Salieri the witch. Yeah, <laughs> which, yeah, essentially. <laughs> yeah, which is also totally unfair to Salieri because when you learn actually who that dude was, you're like, oh, man, they really did him wrong. <laughs> But, but I could tell you from, from, from having, I'll go from, from the side you're talking about first, there are people who very much seem to be just waltzing their way through and, you know, they're, they're, they're doing, they're doing just amazing business and they seem to be touched, you know, like with whatever it is. But I can tell you from the other side of things that there are certain people who think that I, when it, when it comes to, let's say, let's say comedy, right? We'll go comedy on this. There are people who think that I kind of like just lucked into a bunch of stuff and, you know, that I just kind of, you know, like tap danced my way through it. The fact of the matter is I put in a lot of work. It seems like it doesn't, like it's not a lot of work, but I, like, I do a lot. I I did a lot to get there. And, you know, like part of, part of the performance is to seem like you haven't done very much, you know, that's the, that's kind of the point to it. It needs to look seamless and it needs to look like, you know, we're just having a conversation, but the the fact of the matter is, you know, I work balls off to get to that point. And, and so not seeing the seams and not seeing how difficult this all is, you know what I, this is a good way to describe it. Dan Aykroyd, let's go Dan Aykroyd. Uh, first, uh, first incarnation of Saturday Night Live, right? He's mm-hmm. 22 years old. He is one of the head writers of Saturday Night Live. It seems like something like, well, that guy just lucked into every bit of life. He also was one of the hardest working writers and performers in, in history to get him to that point. And so, yeah, it may seem, and yes, definitely luck played a part to it, but the you don't see the work because he doesn't want to show you the work. Well, the but the the big difference here though is she knows she hasn't done any of the work because she asked him and she's like, "You don't even know what that is. What, what kind of witch are you? You don't even know what what, what runes are." Which, by the way, no. any time that somebody talks about runes and stuff, I'm tuning out right there. That person's a weirdo. <laughs> I've got and, these and runes know, and I'm, shut up. There are a million stories about people that. Uh, uh, you might think that they just lucked into it, but then behind the scenes, they're super hard workers. But there are also the Lawrence Taylors of the world who admitted he refused to lift weights, refused sure. to try and practice, <laughs> and practice. he just shows up as one of the greatest football players in history, it's naturally, true. without trying. So you can get a little pissed at that, but then again, you can you know, just be like, well, I'm not a football player, so why should I be pissed at that? But yeah, I have held very closely to the old advice that everybody gets as a kid. It's better to be a big fish in a small pond than a well in the ocean. And I've been in some really small ponds that still can't be that big fish. (laughs) So sometimes I, I, you know, I grapple with that, but at the same time, I do try to take a few moments to pause and be happy for like a lot, a lot, a lot of things that are good. 
I've been trying like hell to out Bob this Odenkirks than there are Chris Farley's though. Yeah. I don't know who's the hard worker in that scenario. I really it's, don't. It's Bob Odenkirk. Okay, because Chris Farley worked himself to an early grave. I didn't know. Yeah, see, well, he, he worked he, himself to death. Yeah, that was that was through substance abuse, but yeah. <laughs> 17. I never thought of Agatha from the comics as a straight-up villain. Do you think she'll be one in the MCU, or do you think the actor's charm will demand she become a roguish hero like Loki? This is a dangerous situation because I don't think that Agatha Harkness is going to be like she'll, she's going to show up, but I don't think that she like she'll never be the, the main villain in an Avengers movie, and it's going to be something where like she'll be. I, I believe that. Uh, if she survives the last episode, she's she's going to show up from time to time. And it's going to be one of those things where you're like, oh, sweet, it's Agatha. Like, you know, it'll be one of those things. Yeah. But I don't think that she's going to be a major tentpole villain, specifically because she's not built that way in the show. And two, because the character itself doesn't lend itself to that. Yeah, a little tough on the mustache twirling for this character. And yeah, I think that we all like the actress a bunch and uh, like like Loki, we want to we'd probably want to see her come back and stuff. And I if if in she um rolls in that kind of magnitude, I'm all about that. I I think it's I also think that just following the comic book trajectory, she can die in the next episode of this, but she can still show up because she does a lot of her work as a ghost in the comics. And I just don't I don't see how the the Doctor Strange franchise can ignore this character. You have to at least uh, comment on why she's not involved. Like it's one of those elephants in the room now. Yeah. No, there'll be there'll be some sort of Agatha stuff, but I like her coming back as a Force Ghost. That's kind of fun. I like her coming back as a Force Ghost and kind of being mad about it, just like, uh, why, why, why I, I, you know, I had so much better time I, as I a real like person. The idea of you know, Wanda walks into the room, Agatha's there, and she's like, "What is she doing here?" And hits her with some magic, and it goes right through. And she's like, "Oh, honey, don't worry, I'm a ghost now. I'm over that." What if she becomes like Wanda's uh, Gazoo? Well, that is what she becomes in the comics. Just kind of popping up here and there and just go, yeah. listen, dum-dum, you got to use your magic right. I, I really think that uh, that trajectory from the comics will probably be paralleled to some degree in the MCU at some point. I really do. I like it. 18. 18. Bruce, what is the difference between Vision and Vanilla Vision? 25% less calories. <laughs> Vanilla Vision did the theme song for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. That's the difference. Hmm. <laughs> Now, honestly, um, from the comics, I don't know what it'll be in the movies. From the comics, it's the same vision, just with a new paint job. Right. And Vanilla Vision came around when John Byrne was doing some stuff with Vision. And it was just one of the times after he'd been destroyed and rebuilt. And what I would compare it to is like uh, maybe Red Hulk, because originally Vision was supposed to be white. Because vision was supposed to represent a ghost. You know, a vision is a more obscure term, I guess, for a ghost, like a spirit or a, a shade or something like that. And they wanted to make him white, but then it came down to like on on the page, I think it was Sal Bushima. I keep wanting to call him Steve Bushimi, but I think it's Sal Bushima is the artist's name. He just thought the colors looked better on the page than the white. So then Vanilla Vision was just coming back and revisiting the original idea for vision, the original vision, if you will. Now on the show, I don't know what it's going to mean. Huh. Uh, I thought I may have written it down in a 
question here because I know one of our listeners mentioned it at some point. Maybe if it's not, we'll if, if we'll come back to it if we need to. But uh, they, this was a really cool idea of what if when Vision comes back as the White Vision here, so we've kind of created him out of that, you know, uh, whatever her magic, whatever we're calling that this week. Uh, when he comes out of there, because he was born out of Ultron, wouldn't it be badass if he had Ultron's voice? Do you think they could get, what was it, Spader? Who did the voice? All you got to do Spader. is, like, it's over Skype these days, man. Yeah. Drop yeah, dro- get, get drop thirty k in uh in his in his pocket there for you know two hours worth of work and James Spader gonna show up for that. Yeah, James, I think I said David Spader. Totally not making a joke. I just got the names <laughs> confused. Yeah, James Spader. As soon as you said it, I realized, oh my god, I just said David Spader, which is David Spade is his name. But yeah, Wanda, bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> Take the hit. Take the hit. But- uh, cool. 20. I think though it's going to be Paul Bettany's voice, yeah, with a little robot effect put on it. Got to be a little bit of, yeah, some sort of uh, a little over modulation or something. Maybe a little more robotty, or even better, Johnny Five, number nineteen, Adam. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, nineteen. I'm sorry, I scrolled up into the things. So, given what we've seen in this show, the way that they laid it out, every reference, every setup, everything that they've done so far, don't you really? Don't you? Can't, aren't you jealous if you're DC right now? Because, man, oh, man, they are kind of just killing it at Marvel. Well, you know, one of the things that I've noticed <laughs> very recently is that Marvel, and I think I even said something last week where it's like, you know, if if Marvel were to take a shot at DC at this point, it's punching down. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you're taking these characters – that really, I, I mean, you know, th- this is re- this really came to fruition with Guardians of the Galaxy, where like here are some characters that even people who have been reading comic books for thirty <laughs> years kind of sort of don't know who they are, and so we're we're going to flex some muscles, and you are going to care about these characters so deeply that you are going to cry watching the second movie. You're gonna love a tree. A tree's gonna die, and you're gonna be like, "Oh my lord, a tree died. A walking tree. What in the world? Come on." Now, and so and so when you have when you're doing these things. When you have two characters that I don't care at all about, Vision and Wanda, who cares? But, you know, I'm watching it every single week. Meanwhile, DC has Superman and Lois coming out, and I'm kind of sort of like, man, two hours? Ooh, that's a long time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I don't know who, uh, you know, I guess the people that might be burning up about it are more like the AT&T folks. I think if you're one of the actual creatives, some people that are creatives, their head is so far up their own butt that they don't really care. Some people that are creatives are just glad that they can create their vision instead of trying to do exactly what, you know, they're doing it at, at the MCU. Uh, some creatives are just glad that they're getting a chance to create, you know what I mean? So I really think that the people that would be most burned up are either, the weird fans who pick it like it's their favorite sports team. It's fans. Those yeah, are the and, ones and, who then, are, yeah. and then the AT&T people that just care about the money more than anything else. So sure. they're, they're just burned up that somebody on earth has a dime more than they do. Yeah. But, but at the same time, they would happily sell their product to the uh, competition for enough money. You know, it's just, that's just how that stuff works. So I don't know that anyone at DC is actually burning up. DC's making way better comics right now. 
Uh, I just think it's the money people that might be getting burned up or the fans. Hmm. And if you're a fan, that's the weirdest thing. Why get burned up? Because you can like watch both. And most fans do. No, you can't. <laughs> if the internet's told me anything, you are picking one side or the other, and God help you if you tell anybody that you like the one that they don't like, because yeah. they will roast you until you are dead. It is. It's. It has a long history, you know. But it's the weirdest thing that people uh, approach which movie like. Anyway, people approach it with uh, fanaticism, usually reserved for politics and religion. Yeah, and it doesn't have true. to be that way. Yeah. It's yeah. not like I, my, it's not like most of these folks, their days are so jam packed. They can only afford to watch one property. That's the thing I talk like, you know, I, I, I think rightfully talk a lot of crap about DC and, but at the same time too, I want nothing but good things. I want all of that stuff to be good because all of the podcasts and stuff that we do, I'd much rather have a great time than a bad time, you know? And yeah. It's always weird to me, like growing up where I did to see people arguing about who was better, the Cowboys or the 49ers. And I'm like, man, you don't live within like a realistic drive of either of those teams, whichever one wins, just like that team. I mean, it's not like you have any reason to like either of them. Yeah. So many people are like, are like that. I mean, if it's your hometown team, that's one thing, but I've, you know, lived a big part of my life in areas that don't have hometown teams. So that's when it really puzzles me. Like you're in South Carolina and you're a Redskins fan? What kind of sense does that make? I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. Knew those people growing up where it's like, oh, I'm a Dallas fan. You you ever been to Texas? No. All right. Yeah, I guess somebody you... in uh somebody in Huntington, West Virginia, who is a big fan of the 49ers would call me a bandwagon fan if I cheered for a team. I'm like, yeah, and how exactly did you come to the 49ers, buddy? Their long history of losing when you were growing up? All of my trips to San Francisco. Yeah. Lovely. It's a great town. Twenty. Was it actually Agatha all along? No. Uh, I think that they're setting it up now to where she is going to be like a, like a second-tiered villain. I think that we're going to see something in the next episode that shows that it's more than just Agatha. Yeah, I feel like there's one more. I can't remember exactly where it was in this episode uh, off the top of my head, but there was another mention of the word nightmare. So that's you know still yeah. lingering in the background. Now, yeah, because that montage at the end of the last episode, not this one, Agatha all along makes it sound like she created Westview as a trap for Wanda. And then now looking at it, I guess it means Agnes was just, her name was Agatha all along. It was never, I, I don't even know what Agatha all along means now. Well, they did say she was pulling all the strings. Now, she yeah, was. But, but it turns out she's only pulling some strings. Well, exactly. And I think was that was. Agatha on occasion, not Agatha all along. <laughs> well, the. I guess changing her trajectory from where she was, that was Agatha all along was trying to, you know, get her, you know, all probably all the, for the children stuff, all the, you need to get, you know, you need to get them kids starting and all that kind of stuff. I, I feel like she was certainly responsible for all of that. But yeah. And I, you know, who knows what the next episode will show, but I kind of like the idea that this was a trap that Agatha set to capture Wanda, but now it's more like Wanda was caught in a trap, so Agatha's trying to jump on before all the meat is gone kind of thing. <laughs> that makes sense. Number 21. Paul Bettany teased out in an interview that he's working with an actor he's always wanted to work with on WandaVision and that they have amazing chemistry together in a few scenes. Do you think Paul Bettany is talking about himself? Well, he said it's somebody he's never worked with before. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you've never like, you've never had a conversation with yourself, have you? Where you sat across, unless you're like, you know, only every day. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I have those too, <laughs> but not like that where you're. Uh, I've lit- lost arguments with myself a lot too. <laughs> I make a really solid point, so I can't. <laughs> I'm like straight up Looney Tunes cartoon, <laughs> little devil, little angel on each shoulder, and I don't mean metaphorically. Going well, back Bruce. and forth. <laughs> yes. I but I I think I think this is the best bet for you know all of that stuff, and I like the idea that Paul Bettany's greatest dream is to work with Paul Bettany. <laughs> I, I really hope that's the case. I, I would love to, I would love to think that he has got that level of a sense of humor about himself. I really love that idea. Well, and with all the stuff from every Marvel bit, you know, Tom Holland getting a little bit mouthy on that first Spider-Man movie where they were just like, seriously, you need to shut up. But, but same thing goes for, uh, uh, Ruffalo, where they'll just kind of they'll drop a little something every now and then. So I feel like they're getting a lot smarter with this, and and maybe I don't I don't know if it is, but I feel like it might even be a little bit of a media training for them. It's like, hey, if they come across this thing, here's you know a couple canned re- type of responses or something. I but maybe I, it's I, Paul Bettany. I don't know. I hope there's it's- part of me that wants this to be like a Gwyneth Paltrow moment where he says it's somebody he's never worked with before. Once the, once it's over and it's not a spoiler anymore, it's somebody he's clearly worked with like at least three times. <laughs> it's like, Oh yeah, it's Jennifer Connelly. You're married to her. What are you talking about? <laughs> but have they shared the screen before that? They have. That might be interesting. Okay. Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I've seen very few of Paul uh, Bettany's oeuvre. They're, uh, they met on A Beautiful Mind. Oh, so Russell Crowe could be the guest star that he says he's never worked with before. That would be great. <laughs> 22. Uh, Marvel is Tom Brady. Love him or hate him, and I hate him. It's not anything personal. It's just sports. But love him or hate him, Tom Brady is the best. Tom Brady didn't always win, though. He's been taken out twice by the Giants, but... You never count them out. You couldn't. You wouldn't think it was possible, but somehow, some way, by sheer magic or the hand of God, that son of a bitch usually pulls it out more often than not. Is there a Brady's chance that we'll get something that blows us away and makes this whole situation just go absolutely wild? Do we have yeah, the cameo? There is there is. something in there that could really just make us? Because we've all been told, like, oh, there's this big thing coming. We haven't quite seen that, but I don't know. So I'll, I'll say a statement nobody's ever disagreed with. Tom Brady is no Bernie Kosar. But, uh, yeah, I think there's an absolute chance the stadium could go wild here. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what it is. If I did know that, then I would be Tom Brady instead of me. <laughs> the, you know, and, and that's the thing that Marvel does so well, right? I mean, even in movies where you, you're you not a huge fan of Marvel movies, like, you know, certain movies like, you know, I'm no Doctor Strange fan. But at the end of Doctor Strange, there's the stinger, and you're like, oh, man, awesome. Can't wait. Yeah. And, you know, they totally have that ability on top. Like, they don't even have to have the special guest. They could have something where it's like, you know, like, hey, new development. Like, I would be down for that, too. They could totally do that. Yeah, I mean, there could literally be just like a chalkboard that has, you know, I wouldn't want this, but Weapon X program or something, and that would make everybody just lose their minds. Whatever the big reveal is if there really is a big reveal the fact that elizabeth olsen said it's going to be mark hamill showing up in the mandalorian level big i think they're setting themselves up to have to apologize for overstating that because i yeah, can't imagine I so that too. there's much that could be like that yeah you got to temper those expectations or if you're like me and you, you just thought that luke skywalker was good but maybe not the most amazing thing that you've ever seen i, I think pietro it's, falls into that category 
Well, I think Luke Skywalker, whether you liked how it played out or not, it's a, a massive level of balls to pull that to attempt to pull that off. Oh, and yeah. I just don't even know that they have something like that. Spe- speaking of balls, that's not really the transition, but I had to say this since you mentioned <laughs> that. Um, we we go back to the Salem witch trials there and everything. They de-age Catherine Hahn fantastically. Why does she yes. look so good? And then uh, Luke Skywalker look like complete balls. <laughs> Well, because uh, it's a lot easier to de-age, take away from something than make more. I was going to say you can probably de-age Catherine Hahn with just makeup and lighting. I mean, she's not like an ancient lady. No, no, but they they certainly they, they did sweetened a, her for sure. Yeah, she looked I, and it looked great. I, I'm just saying it would be easier to take present day Catherine Hahn, make a few changes to make her look younger than to take present day Mark oh, Hamill and well, make him look yeah. like 1980 yes. Mark Hamill. No, knocking yes. 15 years off of Catherine Hahn versus knocking 50 off of uh, of Luke Skywalker. <laughs> sure, yeah. fair. That's a, that's I grant you. That's what I'm getting at. In <laughs> fact, I you know I wouldn't wouldn't even. Like if I met her, I wouldn't dare say, "Man, it was awesome how they de-aged you." Like I would say, "You mean they de-aged you?" I couldn't tell you. You look so, so good on television. What do you mean? It's not, <laughs> don't say it like that, you piece of crap. Oh man, twenty-three. Were the magic strands from Agatha's hands to the twins close enough to marionettes that we can declare that the hand puppet scene? I think so. I think that counts. I think that's exactly what that was supposed to be. Was the hand puppet scene? There you go. Would have been a little bit interesting to maybe, you know, just go after the limbs themselves as opposed to just around the neck. I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit wishful thinking, but I think that's as close as we're going to get to puppet hands. <laughs> you got to admit, it had been pretty cool if Agatha held her hands up and she had like kids on them. Yeah, I think that this show goes from Disney Plus to whatever their you know R rated version of Disney Plus. I don't think Plus. they have one. Yeah. No, it's across the it's across the seas. It's called Star Star Network or something like that that hosts most of their Fox properties and other stuff that wouldn't be deemed uh, suitable for Disney Plus. Oh, okay, because I guess it's Hulu in the U.S. Yeah, like and, or FX. I don't know. Uh, what are we on here? Twenty four. Are we going to get a Superman 3 situation where Clark Kent had to fight Superman in a junkyard except it's Vision? Oh, I, I don't see how we don't get that. Mm-hmm. I don't see why it can't be in a junkyard. <laughs> because <laughs> why not? Oh, man, but I where, Westview but, junkyard looks awesome. But think about it. Like, where's it got to take place? Because you want it to be something big i don't know that you can keep it in the neighborhood and have it be something that seems you know my guess enough. is that they're gonna that is my guess is that they're gonna tear the hell out of the neighborhood oh yeah. and then it just goes back to its basically regular form but I'm because of destruction like, i'm picturing lots of glitches too like we saw in one of the recent episodes where you know vision gets knocked through a house and the interior decor changes decades as he flies mm-hmm. through the wall that kind of thing mm-hmm but how can two people who can turn intangible really fight? I, I picture it's like watching shadows trying to punch each other. Oh, it's like uh, it. Well, it, it's like tenant. You know, you're you're fighting. You know, one's fighting forwards, one's fighting backwards, and you go, are, are they even touching each other? Oh man, you make you make my decision not to watch tenant easier every day, Adam. I, <laughs> six times I've seen it, so. Uh, <laughs> Good. They haven't lost any money then for me not watching. That's it. true. They, they've kept it all. 25. Is it just coincidental that Vision got an empty plot that just happened to be next door to a witch? Uh, or or is that, that I think we kind of talked about it, that she probably showed up afterwards. Did she kick somebody out of the house or murder them? What happened there? Oh, uh, I'm sure. I mean, she's got the power to just 
turn she probably showed up at Ralph's house and just made him think she's his wife. Murder. We kind of covered the murder. question more or less, but so I don't know that we need to spend too much more time. Let's go to 26. When white vision becomes a good guy and the actual vision, will he remain white or revert to the original color scheme and never be spoken of again, sort of principal Skinner style? We are going absolutely Armin Tamzarian in, in WandaVision, I do believe. <laughs> Snowball 3 and Armin Tamzarian, we're just putting it over, and then you're going, yeah, well, of course, that's always been the vision that we know. So it's like now visions and all the future movies, we never speak of white vision again, and that's it. Uh, yeah, there may be uh, every now no and then. Way, you th- no way, we're going white vision because it, it's it's going to be one of those those highway markers for for Marvel, where you know, like you know, you know what part of the MCU timeline you're in because Vision is white. I just think white vision doesn't look as good on camera. No, it's it's not like that are made. It's not visually appealing. It looks a little bit creepy. Uh, I don't know that we'll take that for too long. You got to have like, and here's the awesome part, man. We live in a time where they are not afraid to put wild and bold colors on comic book characters. And I love that we are at that area. We're past the black, uh, you know, leather phase of all the superhero stuff. I enjoy all this kind of color stuff. And I think people will look at a white vision all the time and just go like, this is off putting. Yeah. 27. We keep asking questions like, is there someone else behind Agatha Harkness? And is Wanda going to end up bad or good? And while these are good questions to answer, I think the show is more about the emotional weight that Wanda has to resolve if she's going to continue to exist in the Marvel Universe. Which brings me to the question, will Wanda have resolved her issues by the end of the next episode? Oh, man. I think... I think it's going to maybe be a little bit of like, yes, she's resolved them, but then the next movie she's in, they come back up kind of thing. That might be what we got. I think that the the uh, the end of this episode, well, I don't think that we're going to, you know, finish out all the problems. Perhaps we'll get, you know, a closure to some of it. But I think this, I think the end here is going to be her kind of coming to grips with all the death and destruction and everything, all the big major events and stuff that happens in her life. And I think that what is going to be the birth of this show leading into Multiverse of Madness is Wanda now with agency. I like that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think everything, I think what's going to end up happening with her, because again, we're talking about Marvel, is that I think that we're going to resolve almost everything except one thing is, is my guess. Cause she's got a lot she's got to deal with. They'll resolve all of those bits and then there'll be one problem left remaining. Yeah. And then we carry whatever that little bit is on over into the next stuff and mm-hmm. uh, probably sprinkle it throughout other, other Marvel things as well, because that's kind of what we do, which is uh, cool. I like it. 28. Uh, This one comes to us from Bo. Tonight's episode of WandaVision provided two very different reactions in my home. As we finished tonight's episode, I geeked out over seeing certain things playing out on screen, and I excitedly turned to my wife and asked her how she felt about the episode. She looked at me and said that it was uh, all right, but that it... I'm sorry, my screen just flipped out on me. (laughs) It was all right, but she had difficulty staying... uh, 
on to, is, have difficulty staying into the show. She explained that because that she does not have this in-depth knowledge and understanding of comics in the stories that they're telling, she was becoming a bit more uh, disinterested in the show as it goes along. So my question is: Is the show that pol- is this the show that polarizes the MCU fandom? Is it to the point where you have to be more of an insider knowledge than the average moviegoer to really stay interested when they're uh, going? Uh, where they are going with the MCU. That's from Bo from Austin, Texas. I I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I think they give you everything you need for this story to make sense. I think that the other stuff is a little bit of a bonus. Maybe you get a little more excited. They're throwing uh, little treats to, to fans of the comics. But, you know, nobody's... Mm, I, I almost think that, like, a lot of people didn't even know White Vision was in the comics until they started reading stuff related to the movies. So it's this weird thing where they're telling people about the Easter eggs before they give them to them so they'll know what they mean. Because, you know, they released some footage, oh, probably two years ago now of Paul Bettany in the White Vision costume because they considered using it in one of the Avengers movies. Hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people first found out that thing even existed. Because there aren't a, I mean, there are people that are reading it, but there's not enough people to make a statistical difference financially that were actually reading John Byrne writing the White Vision. You know, that comic at its peak, maybe, maybe sold, you know, I'm just picking a number wildly, but maybe sold 100,000 copies an issue. 100,000 people, sometimes the show like this, they might put you over the top, but that's not enough to build your program around. I think that there is a big difference between the first Marvel movie you see is Avengers Endgame and this show. However... There is a tipping point for for normies watching a show like this where okay this is this is some hokum you know like the way that uh some people are about sci-fi you see somebody in a spaceship you're out like immediately out mm-hmm. and as someone who thinks that magic is all hokum and hooey m- myself uh, you know, like it's it's hard to to get through it when you start talking about like the magical books and spells and dragons and all this crap. And so I can see where your wife might be might think it's because it's so much on the Marvel stuff. And that's a perfectly valid fact. But it also could be that that combined with the fact that like there's a lot of magic involved in this show that it's just too much. And she's just lumping it into the one thing could be, could be the case. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, at the same time though, I, I like a lot of, uh, of these tiny things as long as they don't make it to where that's a specific requirement, so to speak of you watching these shows as having some sort of foreknowledge of the events and things that go on. I think that shows like this, can do stuff like that, but have it be a reward to those people that know these things. Um, yeah, I, but I think there's a there's a definite possibility that if they if they don't watch themselves well, they could get too far into the weeds to where it would uh, alienate new customers, if you will, and that's what they are. Everybody, every viewer is a customer. Yeah. Um, I, I they've got to watch it. They've got to be careful because yeah. they can certainly go down that avenue if they're well, not careful. And, and the MCU has hit on a little bit of magic. Um, 
in that, you know, magic pun unintended in this situation, but you have to watch stuff even if you don't like it so that you can get the most like out of the stuff you do like. like That's the, true. Like they, they've got just enough of like the first hits free, but then you got to keep paying going on here. But even then, like, let's just take an example because he brought it up earlier. You know, Sean, you may not have been the biggest fan of Doctor Strange, but you don't look back on that movie and just go like, screw that movie and it's piece of crap that that brought absolutely zero to my life. Well, no. And, you know, that's one of the things that I've <clears throat> that I keep trying to get across. One of the points I keep trying to get across is that Marvel has reached a, a, a tipping point with their own level of quality where, you know, I think after that summer of Guardians of the Galaxy and Winter Soldier, everything they've made since then has been peak performance, peak level. And so even though Doctor Strange is not my favorite Marvel movie, I do see where people who watch that movie are like, man, what a great movie. I'm just not one of them. Yeah, and like with upcoming stuff, I mean, for example, the one that's on the map in the future for me that I go, eh, I not really necessarily up my alley is is Miss Marvel, and that show may be fine, and that show may be super for somebody else. At least at this point, knowing what I know about the character, it's not something that super you know screams to me as something that like, oh, gotta watch that. But I'm gonna anyway because mm-hmm. it it it. I feel like it's going to, given what we've seen from Marvel in the past so far, I feel like it's going to lend to this kind of universe and continue on uh, this fantastic streak that they've been on. So even though it might not necessarily be up my alley, I mean, that shows you that it's that they're doing a damn good job. When you see something that's like, eh, that's not really for me, ah, but I'm going to watch it anyway. That's pretty good. Yeah. 29, Bruce. So this show went from being my most disappointing MCU project to my favorite. And if I weren't disappointed at first, would the high be as high or is it all relative? I think very much uh, this this reminds me of uh, a bit from Vanilla Sky where uh, where uh, what's his uh, Jason um, Lee, Jason Lee's character just it talks about the sweet and the sour. You you know you've got way too much awesome stuff in your life. You'll never appreciate how good your life is because you've never really suffered enough. And I think sometimes shows are like that as well. It's like sometimes you got to have those crummy episodes, but boy does it make you feel uh, so much more appreciative when it uh, when it bangs on all cylinders. Yeah, because I think some of that phenomenon is going on with me right now. That last episode just left me so happy this existed. The first episode, I was really not looking forward to following this show out to the end. Uh, yeah, I think it's definitely more of a journey kind of thing. And, and frankly, I think they'll, they'll, they'll learn from this. At least I certainly hope they do. And I think that Marvel is smart enough and the people that are there listen enough to fans and kind of gauge what people are doing. I don't know that they would, maybe not for this particular show, but I know another show that's down the road, they probably wouldn't uh, use this same kind of uh, tact. Oh, you don't think She-Hulk's going to be all sitcoms for three episodes? Probably not. (laughs) 
Probably not. <laughs> but but here's the thing. I think that show particularly will probably have a much uh, higher comedy ratio than what we've probably been used yeah. to seeing in a lot of stuff, which, again, makes me excited. I go, oh, that's that's that could be a whole new different thing. And that's what Marvel's been doing so well, be it movies, now to TV shows and all this stuff. They've been switching stuff up enough to where we're continuing to get all of these superhero properties, but it doesn't feel old and stale. We're not getting you know the original X-Men over and over over and over again. We're changing it up. We're giving you new stuff. And, and to me, that's I exciting. I don't remember who wrote the run in the comics, but in the comics, if you guys recall, there was a period of time where She-Hulk was almost like Deadpool. And I wonder yeah. if they're going to have a little of that in the TV show. She's before, I mean, before, way before Deadpool. Like, Yeah, they're talking directly to the reader and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Also, I, what I'm hoping for with She-Hulk is that it's like Boston legal, but with a green lady. Yeah, like I would love to have her, like you know, because it, you know it's all in the you know lawyer kind of stuff, a little sidebar stuff where she's breaking the fourth wall and looking at the audience, going, "I don't know what about this" or something like that. You never know. I'm thinking more Allie McBeal, but yeah, I'm with you. Where everybody pees in the same bathroom, fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Little McBeal. dancing baby, but it's green. Oh mm-hmm. boy. <laughs> Question thirty. Let's round it out. All of all of this sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what are your hopes for the last episode here? Sometimes I have trouble sorting out hopes from expectations because mm-hmm. I get so like focused sometimes on expectations. My hope, I hope that we find out more about Peter in a way that makes me feel like, okay, they did have a plan for this and it's not just because Evan Peters was game to do it. I think you're uh barking up the wrong tree on that one because i don't know that that's going to happen now you may you, that's why i said hopes instead of expectations yeah. expectations i have i could come up with a lot of lists of what i expect i'm trying to pick a hope now if we find out that he was someone else kind of in that role perhaps i, I could see that for me honestly are you telling me that i don't really hope what i hope <laughs> no, I think you want that. I just don't think that what I'm telling you is don't hold out hope for them answering well, that question because that, I don't think it's going to happen. That's why I sort of pre gave a prologue about the difference in hopes and expectations. It's not my expectation. But that, that's also that's also very much our brand for Adam because if yeah. you remember at the beginning of the show, <laughs> he kept telling me that I wasn't understanding what they were going for. I didn't listen. I didn't know. What do you hope for, Adam? Not what do you expect? What do you hope for? I, I I hope we do Say chowder buckets. Chowder, bu- well, hmm. <laughs> not bad, not not bad, Bruce Leslie. But I don't know that they'd put that on Disney Plus, so I'm going to have to put that into the hope pile. <laughs> exactly, that's what I said. Hopes, not expectations. Fair enough. Fair enough. Why waste a hope on something you're going to get for free? You know, <laughs> the next episode is just Marvel Girls Gone Wild. It's Marvel Divas. Yeah. Uh, I I just the biggest thing that I want is is like I said just to finish somewhat of an emotional arc for Wanda, we come up with maybe not necessarily closure per se, but something that then gives her the agency to go because of like what we talked about in this episode is, you know, Agnes is looking at her talking about really her untapped power. She doesn't really know what she's doing at this point. She has all this amazing ability and she has no, she just won the Indy 500 and she doesn't even have a driver's license. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I, for her to kind of find out what her place is and where she needs to go, I want her to try to get over whatever emotional hump that we've got here, and then that be the thing that opens her up 
And frankly, I, I still want to see old Benny Cumberbatch coming through a portal and just go like, you're the only person that can help me with this. Something along I have an American accent. <laughs> you buy it. Shut up. I, I, this is what an American sounds like. I am Benedict Cumberbatch. I tell you what, you ought to give Bruce a run for his money over here with these impressions. <laughs> so good. What What do you want for the last one? Uh, I'm hoping that it gives me uh, a bit of excitement to watch the new Doctor Strange movie. Um, that would be cool. Uh, and I, I really want a resolution to Pietro. And, and those are really the two things that I'm most hoping for is that it doesn't even have to be what I want it to be. I just want it, want it to, to have a, a, an end to it. And uh, I don't know if we're going to get that with him. I'll point to the stands just because, and uh, you know, if, if you don't make it right, no one holds you accountable, but if you get it correct, everyone sings your praises. Uh, Pietro's nightmare. I don't know. I'll, I'll just, I'm going to, I'll toss it uh-huh. on the table. I don't, I don't know that that's true, but uh, if, it, if it happens to become true, boy, do I look smart. <laughs> but if it doesn't, it's called, oh, look, stupid Adam was, was wrong again, and, and that's fine. I'm used to that one at this point. Well, that is it, everybody. We have covered yet another 30 questions. We got one more episode of WandaVision coming up. And as such, next week we will have another 30 questions for you. If you would like your questions to get on this show, email us at WandaVision30Q at gmail.com. The links are in the show notes for that. And uh, I want you to keep in mind and keep subscribed to this channel because guess what? After that episode of WandaVision next week, we got a week off and then boom, we are right back in to uh, pardon me to to uh, what's I can't even remember Falcon, Falcon. And the Snowman. We already established this. Yes, Falcon I know. I, I I just feel like I'm going to keep saying it wrong. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, and we'll be doing those thirty questions. I think there's six episodes of that, so a little bit lighter than this one. But again, if you know, as long as they're like fantastic episodes, I certainly don't care. But stay subscribed to this channel for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. 30 questions coming up right after this one. Bruce, in the meantime, where can we find more of your work on the internet? You know, I'm really loving telling people about my YouTube channel. Just go look for Bruce Leslie on YouTube, or you can go youtube.com slash C slash Bruce Leslie. And I've got lots of good videos there. I got a good one about uh, Monica Rambeau, if you're curious. I got one about Wanda and Vision's relationship in the comics. And most importantly, I've got a definitive list of the 10 greatest, 10 best wizards ever. Please, you know, just go check it out. Let me know if you like it. If you've already checked it out, tell somebody else about it. Help help, help me out, man. I'm trying to get somewhere. If you ever thought, man, I want to see Bruce Leslie in a wizard outfit with a with a cane that actually has like magical crap coming out of the top of it. I mean, you, do yourself a favor and go check out that YouTube page, man. Good yeah, nice. strangely, uh, uh, what, are, what are they called? Industrial light and magic aren't calling me up to work for them, so eh. I got to keep getting better. Mm. It'll be all right. You'll get one of the. You'll get. You'll go to digital domain first, and then you're going to get on to uh, some ILM. I just I've, don't waste my time with Weta. Those small timers, <laughs> small time nothing burgers over there. Sean, what else? Well, uh, you know, hopefully at the end of this episode. Uh, Adam will be able to give you good people the ending you so richly deserve since he has found the instrument that he needs in order to successfully end this podcast the way that all podcasts should be ended. 
And uh, also you can find us at Hero Movie Podcast where we have like a thousand episodes. Ch- check that out. That won't be coming until next week when it when we really have to move on, so to speak. And you'll you'll get your uh, you'll get your comeuppance there. But that's a better reason for you guys to stay subscribed. Come back next week when we ask another 30 questions for sweet Sean's go back from the internet, Bruce Leslie. I'm Adam Portrush reminding you to forget your past. This is your future. Got a black magic woman. for you guys to stay subscribed come back next week when we ask another 30 questions for sweet sean's kovacs from the internet bruce leslie i'm at a portress i forgot the last line fuck the future <laughs> present past yes uh right. <laughs> we'll see you in the future in the past or something like that yes 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 I'm, yeah. don't make keep the chugging. past your future or you won't get any presents <laughs> keep chugging keep chugging you fuckers <laughs> 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 I'm at, all right. Let me get a clean one here. I'm at a portrait, and remember this. Fuck me. I got. I wrote it down, and then I read it, and then Perfect. I forgot it. No, nope. just leave it in like that. <laughs> For sweet Sean's Kovacs from the internet, Bruce Leslie. I'm at a portrait, reminding you to forget your past. This is your future. Fuck me. I, you know, you think you got something, and then it just it goes out oh, of your hand man. like so much sand. Sometimes I'm tempted to save some of my uh, outtakes so you guys can see what it looks like when I drop F. Oh man, if you would it like if if you had all the stuff that I'd done where there was just redos of everything, people would be like, "Oh, that guy's crazy." <laughs> man, just there's the- no there's no way that you're not cursing at some point because even like the most Christian human beings in the world, when you're under that when you're under that uh, that pressure, you're like 
you're gonna blast off. That's a motherfucker. It's like in a small space. I set up a camera, teleprompter, two lights, and a boom mic. I can't move without hitting at least one of those. Uh, <laughs> oh, bing, man. bing, bing. <laughs> Just the look on my face. I'm like, I could not do that look on purpose. Like that, that has to happen genuinely. Like I couldn't fake that look. By the way, I do want to say. Bravo. I don't have an applause button, uh, applause drop on here. But uh, yes, it's not that. It's literally the opposite of that. You and that prompter reading. Man, we have, I'm telling you, every every episode, boom, another step. Boom, another well, step. Just getting comfortable, familiar, and yep. you know, moving the location to be more comfortable. The problem is I'm adding, I'm, I'm still at the stage where I'm like adding something almost every week. So I'm still always uncomfortable with something. But I'll get, I'll find my stride eventually. I, I, yeah, you will. Get you a harmonica or something. I just hate the way that lav mic sounded on that video. 